You're listening to Reimagined Radio. Real talk, real life, real magic. So there's a fable by Aesop called The Man, the Boy, and the Donkey. And in it, the man, the boy, and the donkey are walking to the market because they're planning to sell the donkey there. So they're walking along and they pass some people on the road who basically say, like, why are the man and the boy walking when they have a donkey that they could ride? So the man's kind of embarrassed, and so he decides to put his son on the donkey so that he can ride, and then he'll walk in front and kind of guide the donkey. So they're walking along, but a bit further down, they pass some other people. And these people say, your son must be really lazy, because here he's riding on the donkey while you, the older man, is walking. That's not right. So, to please them, the man and the boy change places. So now the man is riding the donkey and the boy is walking in front. So they walk along and they come against some additional people. And these ones basically say, you know, shame on that man for making that poor little boy trudge along in front of the donkey. So at this point, they've basically had all different, I guess, permutations of how they could be riding on the donkey. And so he doesn't know what to do. So they both get on the donkey. So, of course, they eventually pass some other people, and these ones have a different opinion. And they remark that, you know, the poor donkey is overloaded, and these evil people are making the donkey carry both of them. So, not knowing what to do, finally the man and his uh, son decide that they're going to cut down a pole, they're going to tie the donkey's feet to it upside down, and they're going to carry the donkey. So, one's holding the pole in front, and one is holding the pole at the back. So they continue to walk along, but at a bridge, the donkey kicked one of his feet loose and it caused the boy to drop his end of the pole. And the donkey falls off the bridge, falls into the water, and drowns. So what's the moral of the story? In trying to please all, he had pleased none. Now, if you're a people pleaser, you likely end up with the short end of the stick quite a bit, and you might end up with some disastrous outcomes or outcomes that, you know, you totally didn't want, just like this story. And so in this episode of Success Unlimited, I'm going to help you to address your people pleasing ways at work. Welcome to Success Unlimited with Dr. Patricia Thompson. If you want to be more successful while also being happier at work and at home, you're in the right place. We'll be covering research along with little tweaks, tips, and hacks that will help you to fulfill your potential in the business world without sacrificing your peace of mind. So recently I was coaching someone who I'll call Amanda, and although she hates to admit it, Amanda does have to describe herself as the office people pleaser. So she's always the first one to volunteer for the activities that no one else wants to do. She's the one who jumps in and saves her team because she doesn't want to see them struggle. And when people don't follow through on their commitments to her, she always just says, you know, that's okay, that's cool. And then she stays late to pick up the slack. So, you know, given that profile, you would probably expect that she's really well-liked and respected at work, right? After all, you know, that's what she's going for. She's always there for others because she never wants anyone to be mad or disappointed with her. Well, um, I would say that Amanda's well-liked. People see her as someone who's really kind and compassionate, Um, you know, the kind of person you can come to with a problem, and she'll always bend over backwards to try and help you. But in terms of respect, 
that's probably another story. Uh, people really do tend to take advantage of her. You know, they know that she'll always be understanding, and so they really don't tend to prioritize requests from her like they would from someone else. Um, and they don't see her as a good leader because she's never assertive with anyone, even people who really need to be held accountable, you know, people who've totally dropped the ball. So Amanda got to the point where she realized that her people-pleasing ways were shooting her in the foot. Uh, for example, she frequently works longer hours than she would like because she's doing other people's work for them. Um, and, you know, despite all of that work ethic and all of the stuff that she's been doing, she's gotten overlooked for promotions. And although she doesn't like to admit it, she sometimes feels resentful, too. And, you know, it's kind of like although she frequently goes out of the way for others, most of the time other people are not as responsive as she is. So she'll go out of their way for them, but she finds that they don't always go out of their way for her the same way. So she finally decided that she wanted more for herself and that she was going to learn to set some boundaries and to stop being as much of a people pleaser. So can you relate to Amanda's story at all or perhaps the fable that I talked about at the top of the show? Do you think you could be a people pleaser? Well, if you're not sure, I've got a few questions that you could ask yourself. So here are some. So do you have a hard time saying no? Or do you worry a lot about disappointing other people? Do you bend over backwards for others, often to your own detriment? Do you do some things out of a feeling of obligation and then feel resentful that you did it? Are you afraid that if you don't accommodate others, they'll think that you're not a nice person? Do you avoid advocating for yourself because you're afraid of conflict? Do you let other people walk all over you? Would other people describe you as a doormat? So if you find yourself agreeing with a lot of these, then you probably could stand to make some changes in this area. You know, after all, although pleasing other people at your own expense might get you some approval in the short term, in the long term, it usually works against you. You know, one way it could work against you is that you might feel overwhelmed like Amanda because of all of the stuff that you've taken on for yourself. Uh, you could feel resentful because it seems like your relationships are one-sided. Or you might even feel inauthentic because you're bottling up emotions and you're pretending to be okay with how things are when you're totally not okay with it. And if you think about that, all of those feelings and all those interpersonal dynamics are a recipe for stress and they're also a recipe just for not feeling very good, you know, for having a lower sense of well-being. And from my own experience, although they might look like they're happy and agreeable on the outside, most people pleasers aren't happy with the way things are. They just tend to be afraid to do something about it because they are afraid of how other people might react if they were to show up or to behave differently. So what do you do if you want to move on from your people pleasing ways? Well, I've got some suggestions for you, but first, as you're listening to them, you might notice that while some of these suggestions are behaviorable, some of them also have to do with shifting your mindset. After all, you know, in terms of the behavior, you probably already know that you should say no more, but there's something that prevents you from doing it in the moment. And so by doing the internal work and looking at your mindset a little bit, what you're going to do is give yourself a firmer foundation for making the sort of behavioral changes that I'm also going to be recommending. 
Okay, so the first sort of mindset shift is that you're going to need to be more compassionate to yourself. So as a people pleaser, my guess is that you're probably very compassionate. You might be the kind of person who can anticipate others' needs before they're even aware of them. And you might back off of your own suggestions because you don't want to make anyone else upset or uncomfortable. So you're very compassionate and attuned to other people's feelings. And I'm not saying that compassion is a bad thing. It's actually a very good thing. But there needs to be a balance. Most people pleasers tend to put others' needs above their own. And so instead of looking for solutions that could serve both parties' interests, people pleasers tend to be only concerned about the other person. So your first goal is to be more compassionate with yourself. Recognize that you are just as valuable as the other person and just as worthy and deserving of consideration. You know, you might even think about, um, you know, if this same request was being made of someone else, what would I think about it? And if you start to feel protective and think maybe that's not a fair request to make, then that's a good sign that, you know, you might want to set a boundary in that regard. Now, if you're someone who has a hard time being compassionate with yourself, you know, some good exercises might be to start writing in a journal and you could just write things that you, you know, like about yourself or that you feel you're worthy of and you should feel worthy of a lot. Um, something else that you might do is do a loving kindness meditation and a loving kindness meditation. Um, I'm not going to go in real depth in it here, but basically it's one where you're not only feeling feelings of compassion for other people. You're also um, feeling feelings of warmth and compassion for yourself. Um, and if you're interested in a loving kindness meditation, um, you could shoot me an email and I could send you a recording. Um, and I'll give you my contact information at the end of this podcast. So that's the first tip, more self-compassion. The second tip I have is that you need to recognize that other people can be pretty resilient. So sometimes when you're bending over backwards for other people, it might come from a place of simply not giving them enough credit. In a sense, it's almost as if you believe that the other person just can't figure it out on his or her own, and so you have to jump in and help, even though you don't want to, because you feel obligated to, and because you don't believe that the other person can figure it out. Well, guess what? <laughs> People can be pretty resilient. So if one person can't help them in an area, they can find someone else who can, or they can figure it out on their own. But if you're always saying yes, then what you do is basically train them to become dependent on you. Now, I've seen this happen with some managers. You know, they'll see one of their people struggling, and then they'll go out of their way to help them. And now I'm obviously not saying that you shouldn't help other people, but if time and time again you're saving someone who is perhaps always needing to be bailed out in the exact same way, then they're never going to learn the lesson that they need to learn. Maybe they need to become better at planning or managing their time or being self-reliant or asking for help earlier on, not at the last minute. And so if you're always jumping in, they never learn that. And what I would say is that even if the other person fails, there's a lesson in that. And in some ways, you know, when you fail, that may, might make you more prone to approach things differently the next time. So that initial sting of failure can often be a catalyst for really good learning. Now, you know, nobody wants someone else to fail or to experience discomfort, 
But sometimes it's just not your deal. It's not your business. You know, it's for them to figure out. So again, if you think about what's in the best interest of both of you, then that might help you to be more creative with your problem solving. Maybe you could suggest someone else who could help in the moment. Or maybe you could agree to help just this one time, but then also communicate that you're not going to be willing to do it the next time in a similar situation. And then you stick to that. You're the one who teaches people how to treat you. And so if you never set boundaries, then obviously they're never going to learn them. Okay, here's my third step is to actually set boundaries. So as I mentioned before, to be a people pleaser, you're going to have to set some boundaries. Now, obviously, you probably can't just start saying no to everything you might not want to do at work. Um, after all, everyone usually has to spend, you know, at least a little bit of time each day doing things they would rather not do. You know, you might not want to do an expense report or some administrative tasks. It's just not fun. But, you know, it's part of your job and it also serves a benefit. But what you can do is think about your priorities and then reflect on whether or not something is putting you out too much and then act accordingly. So for example, if someone comes and asks you to do some task that's not a necessary task, like say an event, uh, like the expense report I said, um, then you could think about your workload and also how much of an inconvenience that request would be. And then if you decide that, you know, this isn't something you want to bend over backwards for, then experiment with saying no or at least not now. Like, maybe I can get to this tomorrow, but I can't do it immediately. Um, something else you could do is, you know, if you have a difference of opinion, respectfully disagree with someone. A lot of times people pleasers don't assert for themselves because they don't want to disagree because, again, they don't want what they perceive to be a moment of discomfort. So I would encourage you to like learn to assert your opinions and disagree. Um, you know, in most organizations that have a healthy culture, the ability to have respectful debate and to actually assert your opinions and to give your point of view is seen as a good thing and the mark of a high performer. Having opinions and adding to the conversation is usually beneficial. So play around with that, you know, and see how you do. Fourth tip is to learn to deal with conflict. Now, a lot of times what you're going to find is that when you actually set a boundary, it's a total non-event. So someone comes up, asks for something, you say, no, I can't do it, I wish I could, but I can't, or I can't do it now, but I can get to it maybe, you know, next week. Um, and then they say, okay, and then everyone goes along their merry ways. So it's, it's not the big deal that you might have made it out to be. But let's be real. I mean, sometimes when you set a boundary, people might not like it, especially if they're used to you bending over backwards most of the time. They might not know how to respond to this new you. So what do you do? Well, um, I'm not going to be getting deep into conflict management strategies in this particular episode. That's kind of beyond the scope. But one thing I would recommend is that you look up the book Crucial Conversations. Uh, the first author's name is Carrie Patterson. And it'll definitely give you some really good advice for um, handling conflict. I've recommended that book to a lot of clients, and I have yet to come across one who hasn't found it to be really helpful. Um, something else that I would say is that it can be helpful to remind yourself that you just can't necessarily please people all the time. Just like, you know, think about that fable I gave at the beginning. 
And so assuming that you're being a good teammate in general, who isn't just going around saying no all the time, then all you're doing is you're just setting an appropriate boundary. And if the person isn't happy about it in the moment, that's okay. Um, Something else that can be helpful is to keep in mind your goal for the conversation. And again, your goal is to consider both of your needs equally. And, you know, you could even suggest some alternatives that could help the other person. And you're going to be empathetic and kind when you're setting your boundary. But again, feel free to hold your ground. Um, There's an author named Elizabeth Parker, and she wrote, The only thing wrong with trying to please everyone is there's always at least one person who will remain unhappy, you. So remember that when you're in the throes of conflict, and that might give you a little bit more, um, I guess, resolve that you have a right to be assertive. Um, And I also have some articles on my blog. One is about dealing with difficult people at work. And the other one is about managing negative emotions on the job. So if you go to my website, you can just put those in the search portion um, and those will come up and look them up and then they'll give you some additional tips. Okay, and my last tip is to practice receiving. So you're going to want to practice getting good at receiving from other people. If you're tired of having one-sided relationships, then you're going to start to need to start um, asking for things. So delegate to others. Um, Let other people help you. And if you need some practice, you could start with the person walking your groceries out to the car. You know, when they offer, can I take your cart for you? Say yes. Um, The more you get comfortable with that sort of thing and with receiving, the more support you're going to get. And that'll go a long way in helping you to get rid of any feelings of resentment you have from others. You know, the other thing is the beauty of it is that it will also show you that you don't have to accommodate others, give and bend over backwards all the time to have positive relationships. You can actually have relationships that involve mutual give and take, and they're so much more rewarding. So look for opportunities to receive and you'll be in a good spot. The last thing I want to say is lest I get misconstrued here, I'm not advocating for being someone who is 100% selfish all the time and never concerned about other people. That's certainly not going to help you out at work. And being a giving person in and of itself is not a bad thing. In fact, if you read Adam Grant's book called Give and Take, his research has shown that the most giving people tend to be the most successful. However, there's one huge caveat. If you're too generous with your giving and you become what he calls a selfless giver, or, you know, what would be like the people-pleasing that I've been discussing, then you tend to have the least success because you burn yourself out and you also get taken advantage of by other people. You don't tend to have the same level of respect. So again, you'll just want to be sure to balance your own needs with the needs of those around you, and then hopefully you'll be able to find the right balance. So anyway, that brings this episode to a close. If you have any comments or questions, I always love to get feedback. As always, you can find me at www.silverliningpsychology.com. And that's where you can also find the articles I discussed. Um, And if you really struggle with this people pleasing, you might want to look up my course on mindfulness. You can find it on the website um, because in the course, it'll give you a lot of tools you can use to manage your thoughts and emotions um, that can get in the way of you really asserting for yourself. So you'll definitely want to check that out. 
Finally, if you're someone who's on Twitter, then you can follow me at Patricia underscore ATL. And I would love it if you would send me a tweet and tell me what you thought of this podcast episode. So anyway, this is Dr. Patricia Thompson, and I hope you have a fabulous day.